Good morning, New Hope Church family. So good to be with you here this morning at our TNT devotional Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, I, I just love getting to come here uh, with you and simply open up the word of God to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the wisdom that he has for us. My name is Larry, and uh, I get to have the honor and privilege of serving as the creative arts director here at New Hope Church and getting to work amongst just really one of the best teams that's, that's primarily focused on bringing glory to God and then second with how to show his love and grace to as many people as we can. Listen, big things are happening at and around New Hope Church that we are so excited about. We are already a couple of weeks into our We Are Witnesses series and initiative that Pastor Tim has been guiding us through, talking about what's next, both in terms of what's next in the redemptive historical narrative where Jesus Messiah, <clears throat> Jesus Messiah, who, who was crucified, died, buried, and then resurrected, has now just ascended into heaven, and the baton has been passed on to the apostles and what was quickly becoming the first century church. And then also, we're talking about what's next for us here at New Hope Church. And in both cases, we're just seeing God moving in big ways and the church striving to keep up with him. All of this excitement, and then we have what feels like our area just opening up a bit. We have in-person summer camp for our high schoolers and junior high students. We have baby dedication right around the corner, Mother's Day weekend. God is so great, and we have so much to be thankful for. I'm also thankful for you. Thank you for tuning in and for making opening God's word with us just a part of your day. Thank you for helping to make this time, every Tuesday and Thursday, a time of real connection. Every time we have one of these devos, I love looking in the chat and just seeing how many people are sharing their prayer requests and needs, and then how many of you guys jump on that opportunity to pray for them. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I could go on all day about how blessed we are and how thankful I am, but let's dive into the word. We are continuing our study on the many, many, many parables of Jesus. It's, it's already been expressed, but just a reminder, parables are simple stories with spiritual meaning. The root of the word parable is actually para, as in parallel, meaning laying the physical, earthly story right alongside of and parallel with the spiritual truth. Forty-five times the word parable appears in the, the Greek New Testament. Jesus employed these literary devices often in his public teaching, often enough that both Matthew and Mark indicate that he never taught without them. So we find ourselves in Matthew 13 this morning. So if you're joining us uh, and you want to open up your Bible, your Bible app, Matthew 13, where Jesus is using a set of parables to describe the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We've actually already studied one of the parables from this particular section of scripture. Pastor Matt took us through the, the sower and the seeds last Tuesday. Um, an important context for these parables in particular, the ones found in Matthew 13, is, is understanding why 
the original audience had such a, a hard time understanding the kingdom to begin with? Why did we have so many parables teaching about this? And it's because there were a lot of questions about the restoration of the kingdom, of the kingdom of Israel. The chief question was, when would it happen? Through the Old Testament prophets, the people of Israel knew that a king was coming from the line of David, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a greater king was coming to usher in an everlasting kingdom. Isaiah had much to say of this conquering king who would be the fulfillment of God's promise to, to David and to all of the patriarchs. And, and he'd spoke of the sevenfold spirit of God, which would empower this king to rule over not just Israel, but all nations and to bring about a perfect justice. God's people clung to these promises as they, as they were in captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians, and ultimately being under Roman rule. They looked forward. They knew that one day God would restore their throne and a king with the power and the might to set everything right. But... God seems to relish in subverting expectations. Put an amen in the chat if you know that to be true. God relishes in subverting expectations. You think it's going to go one way, and he, he goes a whole different way. This warrior ruler came as a helpless babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. And the subversion of expectations didn't stop there. When Jesus began his earthly ministry and was calling the disciples to himself, they no doubt believed that they were witnessing the beginning, the ushering in of the new kingdom. And as they continued following him, and eventually he spoke more and more of his upcoming death, they had a hard time reconciling that. This confusion built and built until after his resurrection and, and even until the very moment that Jesus would leave them. Acts 1.6 records the last moment that the, the disciples were, were surrounding Jesus and they asked him, um, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They, they just really, they, they weren't sure what was going on and their confusion was only partly their fault. Jesus was heralded in by John the Baptist as he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Even, even careful study of the prophets from this side of the cross, with the benefit of our perspective, it, it seems to point that the consummation of the kingdom being would, would be quickly after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. In fact, Zechariah, in chapters 12 and 13, it, it says, When they look on him who they have pierced, speaking of Jesus, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So that picture of, of, of his death and the mourning that followed. On that day, there shall be a fountain, a fountain of salvation, opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the nation will all be regenerated. By all accounts, the kingdom was expected to return at the Messiah's first coming. But thank God, thank God, our Heavenly Father is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you and towards me, not wishing that any should perish, but that all 
should reach repentance. That's 2 Peter 3.9. You see, God in his infinite wisdom and mercy had delayed the coming of the kingdom until Christ's return. So Christ came and left and he's going to return because he, God, desires for all to come to a saving faith. The coming of the kingdom coincides with the sealing of our destinies, with, with judgment. He has afforded us this time as an opportunity for us to turn from our own ways and to repent. But make, make no mistake, he will come again in power and might. And the trumpet will sound and his glory will split the sky. And on that day, the king and his kingdom will not be denied. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord. Amen. So where did that leave the disciples? And where does that leave us? We're in the interim period before our king returns and brings with him the perfect and everlasting kingdom. We're what in, we are what is called the church age. We're in the church age. Matthew 13, as we've been studying, and we'll, we'll be studying this morning, describes for us in many ways the characteristics of that age through these different parables. So that brings us to our parable for today. Uh, this one is commonly referred to as the weeds and the grain or the wheat and the tares. Uh, my Bible says the parable of the weeds. Uh, either way, we're picking up in Matthew 13, verse 24. I'm reading from the ESV if you want to follow along. So it says, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So just from the beginning there, we can make a couple of observations right off the bat. There's a man who owns a field. This man appears to be wealthy <clears throat> since he owns the field. And not only that, but he employs a number of servants to keep it. The seed that he sows, we're told, is good seed. This man has an enemy who, who sowed weeds among the wheat and escapes into the night when all are sleeping. We know about the weeds by the, the words used, that they were, they were tares. They were nearly impossible to tell apart from the wheat until they're fully grown. If you're wondering how common this scenario is of someone sowing weeds in another person's field, it was at least common enough that the Roman government had to have laws surrounding this act and how to punish the person who's guilty of it. <clears throat> we're going to pick up in verse 26. Let's see, it says, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? You can, you can feel the shock of the servants. As it, it, it shows that it wasn't that there were just some tares, some weeds in these fields, which would have been common, having some amount of weeds. But the field was full of them. In verse 28, it says, He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and, and gather them? The owner of the field is, is clearly wise and can readily identify what's happened. His servants propose trying to separate the wheat from the tares. Uh, obviously, they've at least gotten uh, grown enough that, that they can start to be distinguished. And then in verse 29, he responds, he says, 
No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so that ends the simple story, the parable, but needing help to understand it, the disciples ask Jesus for its meaning. So Jesus actually goes to continue speaking to the crowd, a couple more parables, and then uh, Jesus explains this one to his disciples separately away from the crowd. So we're skipping down to verse 36 to see some of this explanation from, from Jesus. In verse 36 it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. So already we've uh, learned so much about this parable, just those few things. The sower of the good seed is the son of man. This was Jesus' preferred title for himself. So we're speaking of Jesus. When Jesus refers to himself, he does so most often, highlighting his own humanity. He also identifies the field as the world. We've already noted in the parable that the sower owned the field, and so we've learned by extension that the world belongs to Jesus. He is sovereign over it. He is already king of the earth. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that all creation groans, awaiting him, awaiting Jesus, to, to simply take possession of what's already his. Continuing in verse 38, so he says that the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Jesus, owner of the field and of the world, is sowing the good seed of the sons of the kingdom. We are the children of the kingdom, the sons and daughters of the kingdom. We have been planted into the world. The sower plants the seeds with the purpose of growing it, and so too we are purposed with growth. We are intended to be in the world. It's done on purpose. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, saying that, that we would not be taken out of the world, because that's, that's where we're meant to be, but we would instead be kept from the evil one. Speaking of whom, continuing in verse 38, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The weeds, the tares, those who are indistinguishable from the wheat and the good seed, are the sons of the evil one. The Bible sets up a pretty stark dichotomy throughout Scripture, not just here, but throughout Scripture. You're in one of two camps. You're either a son of the kingdom or a son of the evil one. There's no middle ground. The enemy comes in the night to oversow and to sow amongst the children of the kingdom, the children of the evil one, who is the devil. In the world, there will be those among the good seed who are secretly children of their father, the devil. Again, that's, that's the Bible's language, their father, the devil. We, uh, two peoples, are co-mingled. And the next is the, probably the most confusing part, especially for the disciples. Jesus says in the, the end, uh, Jesus says in verse 39 that the harvest is the end of the age. So he's, he's still explaining the parable. He says the harvest time is the end of the age. 
the sower told the servants that the seed would commingle until the harvest, which we've now learned is the end of the age. But what age? What are we talking about? This interim age before the coming of the kingdom. The harvest is when the kingdom will come, when the king of glory will appear, when ultimate judgment comes. That's not now. This is not the age of judgment. This is the age of patience and the age of grace. This is the church age. And how fortunate we are for this unexpected turn of events, for this unexpected period of waiting. If Jesus had laid claim to his kingdom at the time of his first coming, the world and and you and I would not have been ready. The vast majority of the Jews failed to recognize the king that they had so long sought after and waited for. The elite among them flat out rejected him for what he claimed to be. And even those closest to Jesus, prior to the enlightening of the Holy Spirit, denied even knowing him. And that's all nothing to say of the Gentiles, who most of us belong to, who had walked in complete darkness. So again, I quote 2 Peter 3.9, praising God that he is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you and towards me, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Praise God for the church age and that he used men like Peter, rough and tumble Peter, uneducated and completely undeserving of, of anything by his own merit. He, he used men like that to spread the good news, the great news of Jesus Christ, that on Pentecost, the man who wildly wielded the sword in the garden and cut a man's ear was made an expert wielder of the sword of the word and able to to with surgical precision cut men's hearts. Praise God. Praise God that men like Stephen laid it all on the line, knowing that the treasure that they had laid hold to, the salvation attained by wholly trusting upon the name of Jesus Christ, was of surpassing value that anything else in the world, including their own lives. Praise God for the Apostle Paul, who was a man of unparalleled zeal, whose whose who God emboldened to be the ambassador to the Gentiles. Paul, who under the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit, penned so much of the New Testament in which we find so much deep theological understanding. Paul, through whom we come to better understand not only how we can be legally justified, but Paul, under whose heartfelt pastoring, we get to begin better understanding the heart of the Father. Praise God that the fruits of the church age have been passed down from from generation to generation and from people group to people group that here and now in our corner of the world, faithful servants like Pastor Tim work to further spread this good news to people who are in desperate need of it. And praise God that we are invited to join in that good work. We don't simply sit back and watch as professional Christians do the work, but we are called into the mission field, you and me, that we would pray over people in our lives who would still be considered God's lost children, that we would cultivate a relationship with them, 
invite them into our church and our lives that ultimately we could be a part of the celebration that occurs when even one lost sinner finds their way home. Praise God. Back to the text in verse 39. Again, it says, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So Christians can sometimes be quick to seek out the destruction of the bad seed. Like the prophet Jonah, we can somehow move from accepting the totally unmerited, unearned forgiveness of God and view others as somehow unworthy of that same forgiveness. It's important to see that this is not the time for that judgment, nor are we the people to enact it. We're not called to act in final judgment. We aren't the reapers. Jesus says that the reapers are the angels. The, the angels are equipped for that task, and we are not. This is not to say that we cannot or should not exercise discernment, judgment, which is making decisions based off of what we can see and the fruits that we see. We can do that, and we ought to do that. We are just not the pronouncers of condemnation as an act of final judgment. Jesus is about to lay it out that that time of final judgment is coming. And it's worthy of half of the verses that he uses to explain this parable, so it's certainly worth our attention. Picking up in verse 40, it says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, we live in the age of patience and grace, the church age, the age where we are to share the good news far and wide, but the end of this age is coming, and with it comes the judgment. Jesus pulls no punches and minces no words. Hell is a very real place, and in it there is fire, and there is weeping, and there is gnashing of teeth. The good news of the gospel is that despite our sin and despite the distance that we introduced and forced between us and God and despite all that we have earned for ourselves, the wages of sin is death, that despite all of that, God has made a way for us, that God has, has created the bridge that spans that giant chasm between God's holiness and our sin and depravity, that when Jesus hung on the cross, he separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. With the removal of our sin and the new clothing of his righteousness, we can once again be in the presence of our God. He looks at us with the same love in his eyes reserved for his son. Because we have been adopted through the blood of Christ. The age that we live in, now, this church age, wasn't seen or explained in the Old Testament. It came as a surprise. But, but praise God that by his mercy and grace, he has allotted us the time to use it to, to pull more and more people into the fold, to find more and more of his sheep gone astray. And I can say with full confidence that you and I were at one point one of those lost sheep. Isaiah tells us that we are all like that. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So to recapture this short but powerful parable, we are the good seeds sown by Jesus, the Son of Man. We have been planted for a purpose. The evil one has come in and oversown his children amongst us. They're indistinguishable from us until the time of harvest when we can be judged by what comes from us, by our fruits. The harvest time is at the end of the age, at the period of judgment. And though we are not to act as instruments of judgment, Christ and his angels will do the reaping, separating the wheat from the tares, collecting the sons of the kingdom and giving them to his father and casting the sons of the evil one into a fiery furnace, which is hell. The age we live in is referred to as the church age, and it is a gift from God to allow us time for as, as many as would repent to cast themselves at the, the foot of the cross to be saved. But there's no mistaking that judgment is coming, and our purpose until that time is to help gather as many wayward sinners back to the fold as we can, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. At the risk of confusing and conflating the parts of this parable with another metaphor, I'm going to bring up that just a few chapters back in Matthew 9, Matthew quotes Jesus saying that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and therefore we should pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In that brief metaphor, we are the laborers. As we continue to talk about the one and the 99, as, as Tim has from stage, I pray that you are open to the stirring in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And I speak confidently, knowing that God is stirring in your heart, because this is not a New Hope Church concept. We didn't make up the idea that you are saved to serve. Paul says as much in Romans 6.18. God's desire is that when he asks, whom shall I send? We would all, like the prophet Isaiah, say, here am I, Lord. Send me. So I'd, I'd love to pray over the work being done in your heart. Just as I spoke about the last time I was with you in a TNT Devo, Devo that, that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to put in the chat where you are in the process of working on your one. You don't have to put anything personal, no personal information. You don't have to put their name. I just want to know where you are in that process. Simply put one of these four things. Say, I'm praying through who my one is. I'm, I'm, I'm searching out who God would have me to view as, as someone who needs him and is lost, and I can help in directing them. Or maybe uh, I am working to build the relationship with my one. So maybe you've already identified who it is, and you're just working on creating that relationship so when it comes time for, for an invite, that that relationship is already there. Number three, maybe put that you're working up to your invite. You've, you've started building that relationship, things are going good, and you are, you're ready. That when we give you uh, an opportunity to, to invite them, you, you've got it. They're going to be coming to church with you. And then, and then maybe number four, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about this, but maybe you've already brought your one. And, and you need to follow up. You need to, to continue investing in them and, and discipling them. 
So put one of those four things. I'd love to see those in the chat because I'd love to go through and pray over each one of you and offer you encouragement in the place that you're at. I'm going to pray us out real quick here, and then you can put that all in the chat section. I, I really hope that you take me up on that. We'd love to pray over you in that way. Join me. Heavenly Father, we come before you as always humble and thankful. God, we are so thankful that time after time, you subvert expectations. Just as Romans 8 tells us that it is, it is always for our good. God, we're thankful that you sent your son to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death we deserve, to close the gap recreated, to draw us in, and that you give us the opportunity to play even a small part in bringing other wayward sheep back into the fold. So thank you that throughout the church age, you have empowered and emboldened simple men to speak your truth with conviction, without the light of which we would still be stumbling in the dark. Thank you that now, as light bearers, we can help illuminate the way for others. God, help us. Heal those that are sick. Lift up the faces of those who are downtrodden. Empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us. Again, please leave in the comments where you are with respect to your one so we can pray with you and over you. Join us on Thursday for our next TNT Devo. Love you, New Hope Church. Until next time.